0: So I've met this guy probably 20 minutes earlier. I've just found out he's 11 years into a life sentence for murder. And I'm now holding a very ropey like Bic razor trying to wet shave the back of his head. And I tell you what, that's the most careful shave I've ever
1: done on myself or anyone else. Welcome to the No Notions podcast. Please leave your notions at the door. And come on in. In today's episode, we'll challenge the notions you may have of prisons and prisoners. And we'll do this by hearing the story of my guest, Rob. Well, I had a,
0: I had what you probably call a very kind of typical middle-class upbringing.
1: Rob's life took an unexpected turn. Finding himself a little lost in his 20s, he started running a fraud with some friends, which ultimately led to him getting caught... And doing time in prison.
0: The value of the fraud was just over £2 million. I was doing a job that I absolutely fucking hated. My life was quite chaotic. I was in active addiction at the time. I was was using drugs quite heavily. I was approached by a a couple of mates from uni who had a little venture going. Which I figured out pretty early on was not strictly street legal.
1: We're going to hear some of Rob's stories from prison
0: they all had their gardening gloves on three of them flew into the guy's cell you then heard quite a loud kerfuffle the guy i think got stabbed eight times
1: if you enjoy this conversation i urge you to check out rob's podcast banged up where he speaks about all things prison life let's get into my conversation with rob and we start on the day of his arrest so the day you got arrested um tell me what happened
0: I think it was about eleven o'clock in the morning, and I was sat in my little mini office. We had two offices. We had a big open one, which probably had fifteen, twenty people in, and I was in a separate one, with kind of I think five or six of us. And I was on a phone. I was on a call, and the door suddenly just got kicked in. Uh, guys in like dark blue, like kind of what looked like military uniform, army boots, in screaming at us to put the phones down, put the phones down, don't move. Um, And so you're kind of there sat in complete silence, just going, fuck, what's going on?
1: Where's your head at at that moment?
0: (laughs) Um, Spinning, I think is the short answer. You're kind of, yeah, your kind of mind is racing because I I, I knew what we were doing was illegal. So, you know, I'm sure for a lot of the other guys, they were going, what the fuck is going on here? Because, they think they're just working for some, you know, regular, slightly unconventional telecoms business. Whereas I at least, you know, had the insight to know, right? Well, there's probably a good reason these guys are here. Uh, and you are then kind of going through. I, I, I guess you're going. I was running through kind of scenarios of like, what do I say? What do I do? Fuck! What's my fam? What's my dad gonna say? Um, yeah, what's my brother gonna say? What are my family gonna say? How am I gonna get out of this? Obviously, at this point, so if you think of the serviced offices, they were um they're like kind of fenced off and there's like probably five big kind of tall buildings and a central kind of green and there's like you know cafes and stuff in in the buildings so what i mean is it's now about like one two o'clock so there's probably like 600 people or three 600 people out there enjoying their lunch in an august kind of thursday i so whatever it was and then and also wondering what the fuck's going on with all the police cars that have turned up um you know they're bit curious to know what's going on and then one by one, we got kind of frog marched, hands behind our back, through the green, all the way out and into the meat wagon, which was that was uh, not ideal to say the least.
1: Um, point. At what point does the reality set in? Because when I visualise that that sequence of events, right, there's kind of a number of of first. It's that point when the shock of of the police knocking down the door, then they put on the handcuffs, they put you in the back of the. The paddy wagon, you know, they're all sort of various touch points along the way. At at what point did the reality set in for you?
0: Yeah, that moment where you're you're in there, and then they book you in, and then you're into a cell. And I think I spent about seven eight hours in the cell that night. I got interviewed, and then eventually released at about one in the morning, um two in the morning. And that was yeah, that's a kind of pretty shitty feeling. You know, you're kind of you you're booked in, you're arrested, you're out. And then you kind of, um, you don't they confiscate your phone. So without the nature of our fraud, they obviously, they didn't allow you to have your phone back. So yeah, you're then dumped out into, into Charing Cross in central London. Uh, I had no money. Uh, I had no phone. Um, and I had to kind of like make my way, wander back to Putney where I was living at the time. Uh, so that was, that was probably a, a very real and very low moment for me.
1: Yeah. So you're uh you were eventually charged and your um case was brought to court um what was that experience of um of, of going through court like for you
0: well yeah i mean you say yeah so i actually spent three years on three and a bit years on uh, bail so it, the, the nature of our case what they call a very paper heavy case it took a long time to process so it was a really long drawn out process before we even came to what was going to be trial so initially I I, I had a defense team it's a long quite a long process but I I, I got some lawyers we built a case for my defense um, and then you know there were kind of complications immediately leading up to the trial which, which I won't go into but they ultimately it meant that I changed I actually ended up changing my plea so I'd spent yeah the best part of kind of probably two years building a case for my defense and then Ooh, what would it have been two months six weeks before uh, the trial started I actually ended up changing my plea to guilty so I didn't end up going to trial uh, I, I pleaded guilty beforehand but that the process of going through the legal system so going with the, my defense team building a case um, was yeah I, w- I wouldn't rush to repeat that it's kind of incredibly stressful. Um, and, and look, and, and this is not uh, to ask anyone to get their tiny violin out. I mean, look, I, I caveat all this with I'm it was kind of all self in in, in uh, sort of brought on myself self-induced. So you kind of, but you're kind of, um, I'm constantly having to lie to my legal team. So I don't know if So listening. So it, it, unlike where you might see in the movies or what have you, where you know you tell your lawyers, I'm guilty. And I, I believe the situation is slightly different in America. But here, if you tell your legal team you're guilty, they cannot then go to court and defend you. <laughs> so, I had to kind of, uh, I had to kind of try and work around and try and explain away a lot of the evidence that my own legal team were going sifting through. Um, and there was definitely there's one standout moment in that where kind of built the case, built the case, and you have a barrister. So you have, I had my lawyer, uh, Colette, who was brilliant, uh, who kind of worked with me through that. And then you have your barrister, who's the person that's going to represent you in court, and they're actually going to stand up. So your lawyer kind of builds the argument and your barrister who is then going to, has to then go and kind of sell this argument in court. And so obviously as part of that, that they want to stress test this argument and see how you're going to hold up. And so we kind of essentially had like a, a mock trial um, in, it, at my lawyer's offices. Um, and, and that's probably the least pleasant two hours, one of the least two pleasant hours of my life. I mean, it was just this guy tearing me to shreds. And probably because I realized in that moment that I was going to prison, you know, this day I was like, there's no way anyone, any sane person is going to hear this <laughs> and think this guy's innocent. So you kind of go through, that was a pretty kind of, um, pretty, pretty horrific uh, experience.
1: Talk to me about the day of sentencing. So you've gone through all this kind of period. Initially, you obviously pleaded not guilty, realized that <laughs> that wasn't gonna work out so well. Um, but now you're at a point where you're gonna plead guilty. So you don't know how long you're gonna get, I presume, but you know that you will get prison time. Um, and then sent- sentencing day comes. Tell me about that day.
0: Yeah, so you're, uh, yeah. The, the lawyers have kind of given me an indication that they think I'll get between three and six years um and uh so you kind of have that figure in your head um and uh which it took a bit of getting used to um and uh but you kind of, once you kind of wrap your head around it i think that kind of helped i'd i'd been staying with my aunt and uncle my brother came down to have the like kind of last dinner with me beforehand and then my aunts and uncle took me up with my, my brother came as well took me up to court on the day so i was sentenced at, at Southwark crown court which is in yeah kind of just around the corner from london bridge uh in central london um yeah
1: just want to i I want to touch on on that point like that last night and that morning you wake up are you hyper aware that this is the last time you're gonna wake up in your own bed for possibly six years six years i I know when you when we're going to speak about your time in prison i'm sure there's there's people who who are doing more in life and all that kind of stuff but to your average person 6 years is an extremely long time to have to face that you might you might be shut away in, in a box. So that morning of sentencing what's that feeling like waking up I- in your own room like where is your head at at that point?
0: It's it's like nothing I've experienced before it's probably like the closest I could compare it to is when I did a bungee jump. <laughs> it's kind of similar kind of like it's that kind of mix of fear and kind of uh adrenaline kind of rushing from the yeah the night before i didn't sleep fantastically well the night before it do you know what it is it's a very kind of surreal time apart from anything else you know I, that was that was my my recollection of it, do you know it there was not a lot of information around what to do it's a really interesting bit it's part of the reason that kind of it inspired me to do banged up to do the podcast because there's just, there just wasn't a lot of information around what to expect going into prison. <laughs> and you kind of, there are a few of these bits you could read online, but you get kind of mixed information. Like some of them were like, you can take a PlayStation in. Some were like, no, you can't. You, some would be like, take these clothes. Some would say, say take these. So it's kind of all quite confusing. Um, and while you're in this also very strange headspace. So you're kind of probably not thinking at your clearest.
1: So so you pack a bag, like you pack a bag to go to go off to prison. That's That's the...
0: Yeah. So if you see a lot, a lot of the times if you see like, uh, people going into court and see that they'll have whole sports holders, cause you're told to take clothes with you because I mean, look in prison, they provide you with clothes in theory, but if you don't want to be wearing the prison issue tracksuit for your whole stint, you have to wear it for the first three months. Uh, but after that they will give you your personal items. So you can take some books in, you can take some toiletries, you can take some clothes. Um, and yeah, so you've got a little bag, bag packed with you.
1: When you're in sentencing, um, I have a particular fascination uh, about that moment when the judge is reading out the sentence. Because um, to me, I don't think I can picture anything like it, to be honest, like standing there waiting. And, you know, he comes out and he, I, I presume he says some words or whatever, and then he hands out that sentence. What's those moments like when you're just waiting to hear what your sentence will be?
0: I guess you just desperately want, you want to kind of at that point know how long you're getting, that is kind of it. But it's a very surreal, you kind of go in with all the general public and then you go into the court and then you go into the box. And that's a kind of separate almost like room with a big glass front in, in the courts we were in in Southwark. And you're locked in there and with one of the like security guards and you're there. For us it was different, because we, we were a conspiracy, so there were eight of us. Uh, and so you all sat on little like kind of chairs in there and they put you in order of the conspiracy. So they they basically order you kind of ringleader to least important as they might deem it. And then they're the kind of the judge was reading through it and um yeah for, for one reason or another there were some complications I think. So ours actually ended up they they were they adjourned to the following day before they'd read any of our sentences. And you're like cool. And so then they read they read out two names and they said you can go out that door and uh, the rest of six of us competition winners were like, you're going through that other door. And that was to, re- we were being remanded, so we weren't being released on bail. So we actually got taken off. And so our first night in prison was kind of done on remand before we'd heard our sentence. Um, and then you we kind of came back. But to go back to your original question, you're then back and... We would had this first night in prison, which was a bit weird. So we were in this kind of very it was very strange place. We were on this almost like kind of high. We'd kind of come back in, There was, we kind of got reunited. We like kind of survived the first night in prison. There's this weird, almost like elation would be how I'd describe it, which is a strange thing to explain, but that's kind of where we were. We'd like be telling jokes in the bus on the way back to court. And then we got there and then you'd go in and actually one of our co-defendants, Laura, who was on the, is on the second series of the pod, Babs, who's a good friend of ours, was in hysterics. I mean, she had not had a good time. She had her first night alone in prison, was in absolute hysterics, and that really, like, kind of sucked the wind out of us. And so then we went into the box. Laura was in a really bad state. She was really struggling, and and then you're kind of sat there, and then he goes through an order. So he went, he went from kind of uh, the the my mate, who was the kind of leader of the of the fraud. He gets, the judge reads a bit of blurb his kind of like, uh, his like kind of, um, what might you describe as, like kind of the the caption around like his sentencing to explain, um, uh, you know, his reasoning behind the sentence. Then he reads out the sentence length. That person then gets taken out and then it goes on and on. I think I was, of the eight of us, I would have been six or seventh on the indictment, so I was kind of relatively immense got you see I get to see everyone having their sentences read out and it's kind of the anxiety kind of builds as it goes through. I then remember the judge got to me he kind of says you have kind of he says um you know you have these kind of guidelines sentencing guidelines so he reads out like kind of where he sees you in that um he I think he gives you you have like you know he'll explain that oh uh, there were some mitigating circumstances. So for me, it was kind of, I'd, you know, and they're typically like no previous convictions. These are like the standard ones, things like that. Um, then mine was probably like, you know, my family circumstances were, were a small factor. So then he kind of justifies it and then he reads out the sentence. So I got given 27 months, which I was, you know, actually pretty pleased with. It was a lot, a much lighter sentence than I was anticipating. Um, and uh and then you're off you're up. you literally read sentence i you know quick wink to my brother just to kind of try and let him know i was okay and then you're out and you're escorted out and you're taken down to the cells uh underneath the court
1: so you're whisked off to to, to prison um what is that journey like i have in my head a sort of vision and again putting myself in sort of your your headspace at that at that moment right you're 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 brought into the prison van you're in these sort of compartments within the the, the prison van is there just sort of surreal element of like driving through the city on your way to prison knowing that you're not going to see the outside world again you know like like maybe that's not a factor but i just for me that would be i'd almost be trying to soak it all in in a way because you may not see it for another 27 months
0: no, no, do you know what? You, you've know you actually nailed, nailed it there, that's exactly what it is, I mean it's very surreal, so you're like down in the cells, I'd kind of, my barrister came in, it's the first contact you've had, he comes and sits in the interview room with you, I kind of completely broke down at that point, it was in like hysterics, like kind of, it's just this release of emotion, it was kind of three years of build up, so you've kind of done that, then you go back in the cells, you kind of compose yourself a bit, then you're out in the bus, I was with three of my best mates, you know, it's kind of makes it a very different experience. So it's also it's like almost like schoolboy joking around. That kind of it's this weird roller coaster. But yeah, as you're driving through, so you're taken out through Southwark, and and we were taken to Wandsworth Prison, and uh, I mentioned it on the pod. But the the irony of mine was that uh, I, I I could see my flat. We all, we basically almost drove past my old flat on the way to the prison. I used to live in Wandsworth, so. You kind of, yeah, you and, and but do you know is you're the first person I've heard say that that's exactly you are soaking it in. It you're palpably aware that this is your last bit of freedom. Like, you know, you're not you're not free, you're in a van, but you are driven through the kind of you're driven through the kind of free streets, as you And then you get to Wandsworth and then you're through the gates, and that's a kind of yeah, re- that's another one of those really real kind of like uh watershed moments in the experience where you're suddenly going from streets of London and it's all very familiar to me because it's like kind of where I lived. And then suddenly you're in, you're behind the walls of the prison and you're into kind of alien territory.
1: That first night, um, you lie on your bed, you lay your head down to go to sleep. Um, what What is that like?
0: Wandsworth is like a big old Gothic prison. It's a really intimidating place. You go in and it's absolute chaos. You know, there's quite a lot of people coming down with drugs in there. You're in survival mode a bit, like, and it is that, and you're probably aware that, like, You know crying on your first 20 minutes inside is is not going to help you um uh, and so yeah there's probably an element of kind of repressing a bit of that at some point yeah were you scared yes terrified for the first two weeks i mean you're absolutely petrified you you 'cause because the only place you've ever really seen anything about this in is in films and films always glorify goes to the extremes of the kind of violence, etc. To, to be clear, there there are elements of that of prison and especially Wandsworth that are that do fit the stereotype. It's a very violent place. There's you know, if you compare that to where most people listening to this live, I suspect. Um, you know, Wandsworth is is especially E Wing, the induction wing, you know, there's a huge amount of violence there. Um, both against uh, officers, against other inmates.
1: What was the violence like in there? And I suppose more specifically, what was your first exposure to violence in prison? And how how often would it would it happen?
0: I mean, every single time you'd be let out, there'd be one or two fights. Typically, that was around the centered around drugs, so people in drug debt. Um, hadn't paid it um but then there was also quite a lot of gang violence in there so around like kind of the london postcode stuff so there's quite a lot of that going on and then just your kind of someone said the wrong thing to the wrong person so that kind of happened as well um and and and, and actually the, there were other areas of the prison other wings that were known to be way more violent than ours
1: did you see any stabbings
0: when i was in high down it was the second prison i was in uh, there was a guy uh, I, it, it brought to my attention that four lads were going down to this guy's cell, they'd heard he'd got some drugs in, they wanted to get their hands on it, so the four of them went down, it was tough, pointed out to me, but they all had their gardening gloves on, so that was always a bad sign, because uh, obviously they, they don't want their fingerprints on uh, the weapons, uh, they went down, three of them flew into the guy's cell, one of them shut the door and stood kind of by the doorway, uh, and you then heard quite a loud kerfuffle, and then and pulled out. The alarms went off. The, the as soon as the officers saw it, the alarms go off, and then you're kind of you're back in your cells. You, you have to go back into cell at that point. And then yeah, we later heard the guy I think got stabbed eight times. Uh, he he survived thankfully. Uh, and they they call it pointing, so they'll um, they put their finger or thumb quite near the edge of this the blade, saying that the idea is that when they stab him, that it doesn't they're not trying to to inflict a deep wound. Um, I mean it's not a, a completely watertight uh kind of approach, I don't think. I think that probably does end up with some quite serious injuries. But no, the guy the guy survived. It's probably less common than most people think. Uh the serious violence like that, the stabbings and the and the kind of yeah, very, very serious stuff. But the kind of fistfights um and that kind of thing is is, is pretty regular.
1: It's it's sort of fair to say that, you know, your exposure to uh, that sort of level of violence or or, or... You know, even the, the stabbing situation there, your exposure to that before going into prison was, was was fairly low, right? You would take it differently to someone who's sort of grown up with life crime anyways, you know what I mean? So h- how did you adjust to that?
0: I think I'm uh, probably described myself as a bit soft in a lot of ways. And so, yeah, I, did, I definitely found that hard. There was some kind of gang rivalry going on between my cellmate uh, who had... His friend had acted as the lead witness in in one of the other guys. The one of the guys who'd done the stabbing was a life there, he was in for murder. And um uh, he, the key witness in that guy's trial, the guy that had seen him kill someone, um, was a friend of my cellmate. And so it it was drawn, it was brought to my cellmate's attention. If they get you in the cell, if they if they manage to come into the cell and shut the door, because you, you can shut the doors, you can't lock them. But he said if they get you in here. Uh, you're fucked because they can have you for as long as it takes for the screws to notice, and that can be quite a long time. Uh, So he said if anyone tries to come into the cell, you've just got to rush them out onto the landing. But the, the nuance there is you can't then be seen to be trying to draw the screws attention because then that's seen as kind of a form of snitching. So you basically, he was like, right, you've got to try and get them out as kind of loudly as you can without looking like you're trying to be loud and hope that then by the time the screws, you know, they've then only really got you for like 30 to 60 seconds until the screws get there. So I'm sitting there at this point, all the colour is drained from my face. <laughs> and I'm just going, what the, how have I fucking got here? And and to, to help matters, you know, when you, when the doors are open there in high down, you're like, you've got someone coming to your cell door. I mean, I, at this point, basically flat refused to leave the cell. I was like, I'm like, I'm safer here. But then you have someone that comes to your cell door about every 30 seconds, like asking you for some tobacco, asking you for some sugar, asking you for if you want to buy some spice, asking you to buy some drugs, if you want to sell some drugs. You know, so it's like a real hive of activity, which didn't help uh, my anxiety because, you know, every time someone came to the door, I kind of half jumped out of my skin
1: someone who's serving life um a lifer uh i presume you you uh came into contact with with plenty you shared cells with them maybe friends with them um that concept i find particularly intriguing the notion that you somebody would have to spend um the rest of their life um in a box like that, um I find it fascinating because I don't think I could ever face up to that myself. um What was your experience of lifers?
0: Yeah, contrary to the kind of name, often lifers are not serving life; they're serving. Tip, you know, one of the guys, the guy I shared with in Wandsworth, was coming. He would have, he was going to do fourteen years.
1: Fourteen years is just so hard to. To, to wrap your head around, you know. Um and and that's that's what I mean. Like what was their attitude like? You know, how how do they get through it? Like from your observation of it, how 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 do they get through
0: it? My experience was they were actually much more mellow and relaxed and, and uh the guy I shared with the Wandsworth in particular was almost kind of he had longer left to serve in prison here. He was actually then being uh, actually, he was going to be extradited back to his home country. He was from Nigeria originally, um, and he—that was due to take place a couple of years later. So he had longer to serve than I, than I did. You'd have thought he was getting out next week. You know, he'd already served twelve years of his sentence. So he'd already done it. He, he was convicted when he was very young. He was convicted when he was seventeen, um, and. Um, Yeah, he was, so he was kind of almost like, you know, tail end of a long sentence. He was on the home stretch as he looked at it. They generally don't get into too much trouble. You know, you might think, oh, someone's in for murder, they'd be violent. They're often like pretty chilled because, you know, they, (laughs) they're in there for the long haul. So they might as well try and make it as easy as possible. So they tend to not push too hard against, resist against kind of the rules. They've learned to just go with the flow. I learned not to judge as much. I think perhaps might be to say, you know, I think, and I think you could apply that to a lot of the people I met in there that, um, when you hear the, the circumstances, you don't condone it, but you, you, you understand it a lot more. You know, the guys involved in you know, getting in fights and, and that's just, you know, the world that they grew up in and it's not as big a deal. For a lot of the people i met in there, I think it's, it's a much more common occurrence um, than for someone like me. So we're good.
1: You shared a cell with a murderer. Um, what was that like? He was
0: kind of a fridge with a head, he was a big, big unit. He was quite a bit shorter than me, but it's considerably more muscling. He asked me how long I'd been in. Uh, I said three months. Um, and then I asked him how long he'd been in for, and he said 11. Um, and I thought he meant 11 months. Uh, he had said it was 11 years. Well, he actually, he then went into the kind of separate bathroom we had, and uh, went to wet shave his head. And I said, oh, he's like, I've been in for 11. And I went, oh, what for? And he went, oh, I copped at him. And at this point, I'm like, I don't know what that means. And I was like, I said, what? And he went, oh, murder. And that is a pretty good conversation killer. Um, and I realized that he'd meant 11 years he'd been in for at the stage. Um, and so. I kind of, he, I think he then laughed because I was so clearly like stuck for a follow-up question. Um, but he kind of laughed, he then came out. And then, I then had this very strange scenario where he basically, he asked me if he got his head, he'd shaved his head properly. And um, he turned around and he he missed a strip right down the middle at the back. Because you don't have a normal mirror there. You have these tiny little squares and said, so this was my first kind of proper dilemma in there. Because he asked me if he missed a bit. And I realised that if I said no... He was going to walk around the wing and eventually he'd find out that I'd lied and I'd let him walk around the wing like a dickhead, having missed his head. So that wasn't going to go well. But I knew the other option was I said yes. And I knew the follow up to that was which is what happened. He said, right, can you shave it for me? So I've met this guy probably 20 minutes earlier. I've just found out he's 11 years into a life sentence for murder and I'm now holding a very ropey like Bic razor trying to wet shave the back of his head and that that was uh, one of those real moments where I thought Jesus how have I ended up and my mates could see me now and I tell you what I have never that's the most careful shave I've ever done on myself or anyone else um but then we ended up chatting and I also I asked him about the circumstances around the murder I kind of figured he told me so I was like and And he told me and he he you know he was seventeen, he'd come over from Nigeria when he was fourteen. he was living on a council state, he they'd had a house party um he was high someone came around and told him to to turn the music down he told him to fuck off they had a fight, he had a knife and he stabbed him uh, and he actually said he he didn't remember uh he didn't remember that happening he was drunk and high, and he woke up the next day to go to school. And uh, he saw the house where the party had been was taped off with police tape, and um then he got told then he got told what he'd done, but yeah look uh, he you know he and I actually got on pretty well uh we were there we were kind of um i mean shortly after I saved this guy's head, he asked me if he could put the t v on and I said yes. Uh, and he put on a Muppets Christmas Carol, so it was in December at this point. So he put on a Muppets Christmas Carol, and I clearly remember kind of sitting on, top, on the top, but I was on the top bunk, you're on the bottom bunk, he's watching a Muppets Christmas Carol, like laughing his head off like it's the funniest thing he's ever seen. And at that point, I was convinced I wasn't making it through to the following breakfast. I was like, I'm done. I was like, I'm like what is going on here?
1: What was your hardest time in prison?
0: I think the first month or so is hard because you're still, I mean, you know, for me, I knew I had kind of nine months in there. So of a 27 month sentence, um, I knew uh, pretty early on that, yeah, I was going to be doing nine months behind the door. But nine months is still quite a long time. And when you're spending 23 hours a day locked in a locked in a, a room the size of a family bathroom uh, with, with another bloke and nothing really, not a lot to do. I mean, you have a TV, you have, which has kind of 10 channels on it. Uh, you have books and and you kind of have bits there but it, it drags I mean you, you I mean there's literally nothing to do so and it's not like you can make phone calls you have in Wandsworth in particular that early time they only at that point they only had phones out on the wing not in your cell so you had to wait for S&Ds to be able to go make phone calls so that hour out a day so there's a long time to sit and think there and you're thinking god this is a you're a long way off home, so I think, yeah, probably that first month.
1: Is the lack of privacy hard to uh, get used to? Obviously, in some cells, I presume there's no—you know—the toilet is in is in the cell. You know, you're sharing with one other fully grown man um, in bunk beds, and there's a an open, exposed toilet. You know, um, how hard is that to get to get your head around?
0: I mean, I remember uh, the guy I mentioned earlier. Harry, who I was uh, really, I got on really well with. He was a real character. But I remember clearly on Christmas Day, um, I uh, I woke him up. I was having a shit, and my knees were basically touching his head. He was in bed, and it woke him up. <laughs> and I remember apologising to him <laughs> as like sorry, mate. And then he was like, he was so used to it. He'd been in and out of prison for a long time, and he just laughed. And then we kind of said Happy Christmas. <laughs> And then you kind of crack on it. And I think, yeah, I think that was one thing that you just kind of, yeah, and there's definitely some awkward moments. But, you you know, you've just got to crack on with it.
1: I think that's one of the things I'd struggle with most uh, is actually just the lack of, like, obviously people are extroverts and introverts, right? Um, but if you're particularly introverted like i would say I, I i need certain time time to myself um i think that's what i'd struggle with most like there are just days when you wake up not feeling up for it you know i'm sure there's good days and you sort of sail through and you know it's fine but there are just days when you're just not in the mood you know and it's not an environment where you can control that and it's not an environment where you can particularly uh uh establish your authority to affect um the the, the, the situation. Um. And I think that's what I'd struggle with most is just that lack of that constant in-your-face, um, 100 miles an hour, like noise, people, all that kind of stuff. And, and I just know where to almost go to regroup <laughs> and and just process and, and and recharge the batteries. You know, at least that's my vision of it.
0: For a lot of people, it's quite jarring going to prison where they're used to their own space. And I think that is a, it's interesting you picked up on that because I think that is probably a really hard element for people to adjust to but i was just it just felt it felt very familiar to me um so i i actually didn't struggle with that too badly
1: what was the reaction of everybody else from your life at home um to you going to prison um was it a source for you like was it awkward? You know, were you embarrassed by it? I presume there was it was a very gossipy scenario as well. Because, you know, if you're from a, a background where it's relatively normal, uh, people will know someone who's gone to prison. It's it's totally normal and it's not that big a deal. But it sounds like for you, that's not the case. So what was everybody else's reaction to uh, to, to you going to prison?
0: people were very sympathetic and I actually found that more awkward. I found it awkward that people kind of almost felt sorry for me because I was fully aware that I'd kind of done this, I'd made this real error of judgment. I was raised, my parents, you know, my dad in particular, as I got older, you know, my dad was very kind of quite a moral man. And I think, so I was very, I was sort of patently aware of like, kind of right and wrong and that I, I had done wrong. And so I didn't feel like, you know, I didn't, didn't feel any, I definitely deserved any kind of pity necessarily so that's probably the thing i found most awkward when i got out
1: and now that you're now that you're out um how do you approach the conversation now say you're going on a date or you you you, you know you meet a girl or you start dating or you, you make friends like eventually it's a big part of your life right so eventually and also you you don't it's not a secret you you do a podcast about your time in prison um how, how do you navigate that and, and what's the sort of reaction
0: there was a time afterwards I was single in prison, I was single afterwards and I was dating and that's it. Yeah, that was it. That probably was a time where I did find it awkward. And I like, there is that kind of like, well, when do I bring this up? Like, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, And I, again, you know, I learned to, I would just generally bring that up quite quickly. Um, I felt like I wanted to just get it out in the open and then look, if, cause I, I guess I'm kind of thinking if someone doesn't like that, I'd rather just get it out there. And if that, if that's an issue for them, we figure it out sooner rather than later. Um, and yeah, like, honestly, it was you know, probably quite a good icebreaker with some people, you know, uh, you know, some people, I found people quite interested in it. It's uh, I'm quite interested in it. I was quite interested in my experience. And then as he said, I, I made a podcast about it, so I can't complain too much about people asking me about it.
1: Your your day of release, um, what was that like? What was the first thing you did? Did you drive straight to McDonald's?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I was out into a car park in, in, in Rochester, in the middle of nowhere, and because I'd been let out early, my um, my aunt and uncle who were coming to pick me up um, weren't there yet. So I was kind of, but I had no phone. So I had this weird half an hour. Where I'm like, are they here? Are they not here? I'll just wait here. And then in the end, I had to go down to the BP garage at the end of the road and ask them if I could borrow their phone. I was like, funny story, I've just been released from prison uh, and I can't get hold of the people collecting me. Can I borrow your phone? Thankfully, I think I can't have been the first person that's had to do that. So the very nice lady behind the... The counter there kind of let me and I ran and I could pick me up. No, and we, and we then actually went straight back to, we went back to my uncle's. Uh, I had some food. I think I can't remember my first, first movie probably. I think they had some like left, they'd had a barbecue. So I had some like leftover barbecue food, which tasted amazing.
1: That, that first breath of, of, of fresh air as a, as a, a free man, is, is that a moment?
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. But I think underwhelming. Like I said, I kind of you you big it up in your head, and you kind of think, yeah, this is going to be this huge experience, and I'm going to have this. It's this kind of like gank redemption moment where you're out, and it's kind of I'm, you know, and you're, and you're free. And it's it's really not like that. I mean, there is a wave of like I'm free, but it's it, you know, it's probably like tinged with anxiety. You know, it's kind of you back out into the great unknown. You've lived in this world of extreme regiment you know everything is done to the minute your door's unlocked at eight you're in at twelve thirty, you you know whatever to the minute and you have no control over it and then suddenly you're out and you're like well, what the fuck do i do now you know i'm used to being i'm spent nine months being told what to do you, you you wouldn't think it but in nine months you're right i mean around that time especially kind of early 30s people have had kids I think I'd missed five, six weddings in, in the time I was away. So you kind of, yeah, the world does, you know, it definitely moves on and you kind of, you do feel you've kind of missed it partly.
1: How has prison changed the way you view the world?
0: I, th- I think I emerged a better person from prison, I think. Maybe not immediately, but I think in the aftermath and, and kind of how I, yeah, it, I think you, when you're being booked into Wandsworth Prison, you don't feel like this is a success story so you're 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 forced to kind of reflect on what have you done wrong what what decisions have you made to kind of um land you in that position and um i think like i say not in the immediate short term but i think ultimately it kind of started the ball rolling with me becoming much happier
1: and how's life now
0: yeah i good yeah like i said i mean i touched on it earlier I'm, i'm kind of um uh, i am am now in a point where i 'm in active recovery so i 'm kind of i think my addiction was a big part of like my story and um i think i'm approaching six months clean and sober which is has been a huge kind of change in my life and, and a real positive element um, and yeah i'm 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 well life is very good i've you know kind of in a nice loving relationship i I have a great job i love my coaching i'm a, i'm a personal trainer in town in london and um all of this, I think, yeah, I think without my prison experience, I wouldn't have ended up where I am now. So uh, as much as I definitely regret my crimes and the impact that I had on, on certain people, specifically the people around me in my life, you know, my family, I, I, I definitely regret that. But I don't regret in one sense, I'm a bit more kind of philosophical about where it's got to me, because I think without those experiences, I wouldn't be where I am now. And, and yeah, so I think ultimately I'm, I'm pretty happy, pretty lucky guy
1: amazing man i'm i'm delighted to hear um your podcast banged up podcast um i binged uh, every season that that's come out I'd, I'd highly recommend anyone to to check it out um it's coming back right
0: yes touch wood as i speak uh we have got series three landing sometime in kind of early to mid 2023 so we're, we're working on getting that third series out
1: look thanks so much for your time and best luck with the new season of the pot
0: so, man, absolute pleasure. Thanks,
1: Gerald. Thank you. A massive thanks to Rob for being so open and honest throughout our conversation. If the topic of prisons and prison life interests you, you can check out his podcast, Banged Up. That's it for this episode. I will see you back here in the next one.